Thanks, worship team. Thanks, Allison, for that prayer. I think it's appropriate. So, um, good morning. And if you are in uh, preschool through fifth grade, you can leave at this time. You can go to your classes, and uh, I'm sure you'll have a great time. We're going to have fun, too, though. Uh, We're trying something new. I know, we're going to school a little bit today. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. You know, you can send in your loving emails if you want. Um, but that song is very, very appropriate. Uh, this idea of overcoming. We've been in this series called Go and Overflow. We talk about what it means to live an overflowing life, a life that just pours out naturally and authentically the, what we've been given if we follow Jesus. And, um, and we, Carrie did announcements. She did a lovely job. Thanks, Carrie. Um, and Mike is one of our other people that does announcements. And Mike's not here today. He's away. He's cheering on his girlfriend, Meredith, at a marathon. Uh, and I was thinking back to when I, ra- when I last ran my last marathon. And I have a picture because I thought you'd all want to see my lovely outfit. Um, and I know you can't really see the off-red with the red shorts and my wife didn't say good job when she got done. She's like, why did you put that shirt with those shorts? And I'm like, I forgot the shorts I was supposed to bring. Uh, anyway, uh, the headband especially made it really great. But anyway, uh, I've had people ask me before, so Rob, are you, like a, mar- are you a marathoner? Because you kind of have that skinny, I mean, like that body that says, you know, marathoning. And I'm like, no, I ran one marathon. I'm not really a marathoner. Um, it was fun and and I'd do it again if I had a really good reason, but to just do another one isn't a good reason. And so um, now if you were to say, like, Rob, are you a triathlete? Then I would say, yeah, I was. Um, I used to be because I did several triathlons over several years, and it was quite fun, um, and I, I valued triathloning. But uh, then seminary kids, work, a wife, all those things kind of got in the way of training And I had to make a choice. Did I value triathloning that much? Did I value training that much? If I was a triathlete, was I willing to make the sacrifices to live out that value? And I wasn't. Um, But we all have values. Now, either they're stated or they're unstated, but they're present in our lives, and these things rarely change for us if we really think about them. So Mike Weens, my friend and someone who says this is his home, church, um, he's making a value statement today. I got permission to talk about him. He's saying to Meredith, like, I value you and our relationship more than gathering with my church today. Now, if you did a marathon every weekend, Meredith, not only would you be a marathoner rather than just running one, but uh, I'd have to figure out how that would fit into my value of gathering with my church. So uh, some of you have heard me tell this story before, but it's appropriate, so I'll tell it again. Uh, Southwest Airlines, one of their values is fun. Like, you'll have a fun time on our flights. And so they used to, I'm not quite sure if they do anymore, but they used to, um, one of the ways they would express this value of fun is they would um, kind of act silly and goofy during the uh, pre-flight demonstrations of putting in the seatbelt, and they still do this, okay. So, um, and the card, and, and you can read about it if you really really want to know, but they have a lot of fun with this, and this deeply offended a few people. And so they contacted Southwest Airlines, and they're like, you need to change this if you are ever going to have us back as customers. And Southwest Airlines' response was, we'll miss you. (laughs) Huh? 
I, I like it because, because our values aren't really expressed with words. Our values are truly expressed through our actions. And Southwest Airlines was saying, our value of fun is going to come over you as a customer, and we're going we're to we're lose a few customers to keep our focus. And I think that's what we want in life. We want to be able to keep our focus. Um, most of us know what we need to do um, in our life. But keeping that focus is challenging because our life gets blurry really quickly. All of a sudden, new realities come into our life, and we sometimes don't know how to respond to that. Like, uh, how many of you made New Year's resolutions? How many of you remember your New Year's resolutions, let alone you're keeping your New Year's resolution? Because I don't remember what I set out to do six months ago, um, and it was only one thing. And by the blank looks, I'm like, I don't know what you, I did. Our life, like, things change quickly. And so all of a sudden, this new reality, and we have to ask ourselves, how does this new reality play out in our lives? How does, how does our, these values that we say we have in our lives, whatever they are, stated or unstated, when this new reality comes in, how do we continue to live those things out? And I think the Bible speaks to that. And, um, and I think this series that we're talking about of going and overflowing speaks to that. So last week, if you were here, we talked about that the key to living this overflowing life has to begin with a first person or a first-hand encounter with Jesus. It's not enough to hear about Jesus or to, or to, to, to talk about someone else's relationship with their God. We have to have that relationship with God. And this week, we're going to look at what I'm calling growing pains. Um, what are the threats to keeping that focus in our lives? As we grow and change as individuals, which we should, growing is healthy, and as we grow and change as our life as a community, as a church, how do we keep focused on who we are? Because if we know who we are, then we can know what we're supposed to do. So we're going to go into Acts, Acts chapter 6, and as you turn there, I would just like to pray for our time together. God, um, we do thank you that all authority, all power um, that you've overcome, and those things are ours, not to take as ourself, um, God, but to follow you. So help us to see what it means to keep focus, um, what it means to keep focused on you, what, it, what are the threats to um, that change when we enter a new reality. Uh, God, if it's our personal lives, our work lives, our lives as a community today. We just pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to jump into Acts chapter 6, kind of come back out, and then go back down. So Acts chapter 6, verse 1 says, In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenists, maybe um, maybe your translation says, or the Greek-speaking Jews among them complained against the Hebrew-speaking Jews. Against, uh, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve disciples gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. 
They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God increased and the number of the, and the, number of the disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. It's good stuff. Um, sometimes a threat to staying focused in a, in a talk like this is having like several different points. Well, we have three, so that might be challenging. So, but I, I think you can handle it. And if you can't, go grab some coffee and if that helps you. Um, what's the story here? What's going on? Why is the story here and what difference does it make in our life? Okay, what's the story? Why is it here? What difference does it make in our life? Because when you read this story, as you listen to that story, um, maybe you've heard that story before, you might say the stories about some widows who aren't getting food and how they solve that problem. And I would say, well, you're mostly right. It's not all the story. I think there's more to the story. But yeah, it is about that. But really to discover what the whole, the whole story is, we have to look at why the writer thought it so significant to put this into the grand scheme of this story. If a narrative is selective accounts of what happened in a something to, to state a purpose, then why, why this little chunk? Why these widows and why these seven? And I think we see that as we look at the larger story. So, if we look at the book of Acts... feel like Vanna White. Um, if we look at the book of Acts, we see that, that we see the Spirit of God moving and spreading around to every people, every place, and every group. The Holy Spirit's working through the apostles, and it's working through people that would, would come to be known as like little apostles, um, other people that had experienced this relationship with Jesus, moving out to every people group and every place. So, sorry. So at the beginning of Acts, Acts 2, 3, and 4, it shows the spirit of the risen Jesus not just working in the 12 apostles minus one plus one, um, but these new apostles as well. So we see at the beginning of Acts, Acts 2, 3, and 4, we see the risen Christ. He calls 12 to himself and after he um, appears from the resurrection, it says that 120 are there. There's 120 followers at this thing called Pentecost, um, this Jewish festival where the spirit, where they really celebrated the giving of the law. But then at this Pentecost, in particular, the original Pentecost, we see the spirit of the risen Jesus come back and infuse, the Holy Spirit infuses these um, 120, and it's amazing. It's Incredible. Uh, we're not going to have time to read about it, but, but that happens, and then like 3,000 are added to their number. And we get these little summary statements at the book, in the book of Acts. We get these little summary statements like Acts 2, 42 through 47. Um, there's three or four of these that happen, but this one's significant enough to look at again, so we're going to put that on the screen. It says in Acts 2, 42 through 47, now 3,000 have just been added to their number, talking about changing and growing rapidly. And these devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And the believers were together and had everything in common. 
They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need, and every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They praised God. They enjoyed the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. When you, when you read those or when you hear that, what are some of the things that they valued? When I look at it, I think the things that they valued, one of the things they valued was unity, right? Would you agree? Yes. Yes. Okay, what else? Fellowship. Okay, like what do you mean by fellowship? Okay, so gathering together for the purpose of eating, so sharing food. What else? Sharing food, worshiping. What? Charity, sharing money. Sharing, what I think you meant, Colleen, is sharing lives, right? So lots of sharing. Sharing lives, sharing food, sharing money, worshiping God, having unity, they valued, I think they valued prayer. Do you agree with that? This is why I probably won't do this again, since my writing is phenomenal. Um... It's really more about the picture than the words underneath it. Uh, yeah, but then something happens. Well, they grow, they change, and all of a sudden there's threats to their unity. There's threats, there's oppositions. We looked at that last week with Acts 3 and 4. Peter and John, two of the 12, perform this miracle, and now all of a sudden the authorities, are, they're not happy about this. They're a little bit jealous, but now... They're threatening their unity. They're threatening their prayer. They're threatening their teaching. And so um, Acts, like we talked about last week, there's, that's the story of how they overcame those threats, how they said, we're going to stay focused on these values, specifically prayer and the, the teaching and the unity, because they were afraid. And so we get another summary statement at Acts 4.29 through kind of the end of chapter 4. We get this other summary. First, they... We're a little afraid. Their unity was being threatened. They, they couldn't, weren't supposed to pray in the name of Jesus. They weren't supposed to teach in the name of Jesus. And so in Acts 4, we get this powerful statement where they prayed for boldness. And then, like, God answered, and they got boldness. And so they had the threats. They came, and they prayed for boldness. And sure enough, what happens? 2,000 more people were added to their number. But then more threats Acts chapter 5, there's more threats to that. Now, the unity, the sharing of money is being threatened because these two people, Ananias and Sapphira, they lie about what they're going to share. They buy about how much. They want to look good in front of these people. And so there's another threat to the unity. There's another threat to sharing in Acts 5.1, and the Holy Spirit decisively handles that. And we get another summary statement, uh, I think in Acts 5.12, 17, right through there. And then there's another threat in Acts 6.1. There's another threat to these things that they valued, the sharing of food and to unity. So I would agree that, that Acts 6.1, this, this story that we look at, is about sharing of food. These widows are being overlooked. But it's more than that. It's about this unity. Because these Jews speak Greek. They are different. That's what the issue is. They're different. Everybody else, everybody else has been a Hebrew-speaking Jew. 
And I don't think it's really about the food, and this is why. If you do some background information on on the food and the sharing of food, you'll find out that, that the Jews, the Jewish religion, they knew how to care for widows. They knew how to care for the needy. Every week, um, they had two officials from the temple who would go around to the market, because remember, they don't have refrigerators. Okay, so they'd go around the market, and they'd ask people that were selling food to, if there was anything that they could distribute at every Friday morning, if, is there anything you can give to the poor? And so these marketplace people would give some of their potential profits to this offering. It was called the basket. And then later that day on Friday before Sabbath started, they would give this out. It would be enough for 14 meals. Okay? 14 meals for the next week. So that was really cool. So that was the basket. But then, also daily, people would do a house-to-house collection called the tray. And these people were... um, they would just, hey, do you have anything that you can give to those in need? So again, the Jewish people got this, and these early, early Christians, all of them were Hebrew-speaking Jews, and they adopted this way to take care of, to make sure that people had enough. That's why I think it's, it's more than just the food. I think it's profoundly about these growing pains of growing and changing and threats to unity and threats to the expansion of the kingdom of God. Because up until this point, only Hebrew-speaking Jews, basically those in Jerusalem or those around Jerusalem, had been converted to the Jesus kingdom, to the Jesus movement. And so if these Greek-speaking Jews really aren't included, because that's what they're trying to wrap their minds around, what it means to make room for these people that are different than us. Really, the question is, if they miss this, then what they're saying is, if you don't speak Hebrew... And if you're not a Jew, you're not in the, people, the Jesus movement. And that's huge. Don't you think if these Jews could speak Hebrew, they would? Because then this wouldn't be an issue. If it was just a matter of learning or trying harder to speak this language, then I'd be in. Then there wouldn't be this problem. But these Jews probably are dispersed throughout the Roman Empire, and so they grew up speaking Greek, because that's what everybody spit, spoke, thanks to uh, Alexander the Great and the thrust of the Greek Empire. So if it was a matter of just learning it, then they would speak it. But they can't. They've never done that before. And so it's about being different. For all the believers, which would, I think, include us um, now, this question was, do I really value unity? Like, do I really value triathlon training? I I know, although I did run this morning. Do I really value unity? And do I really value sharing enough to make room for these people that are different than me and help find a solution. That's, I think, what the issue is going on up here. Now, for the apostles, these guys that are, that are leaders, um, the 12, I think it's about keeping focus. If you look back at Acts 6, um, chapter, uh, verses 2 through 5, it says, So the 12 gathered all the disciples together, and said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them, and we will give our attention to the ministry of prayer and the word. Okay? Now, some of you, especially if you've seen this before, if you've had teaching on this before, you might think it's saying something that, that I don't think it's saying, and we can certainly have a conversation about that. 
But number one, I don't think it's, saying, it's talking about a status of a role. Okay? When we read this, it's really easy to assume that prayer in the ministry of the word is up here and waiting tables is down here. Because I think we get these phrases in English and they, they make pictures for us. When we think waiting tables, we think apron. I was almost going to put one on, but I can only find one that had flowers all over it and I just wasn't comfortable wearing it today. Um, but we think apron, we think um, bus boy or bus girl or wait, someone that brings us the food and then if they do a good job, we put some money on the table and, and that's what we think of. Um, when we think of prayer in the ministry of the word, then we think of someone who stands up in front of people and talks about the Bible, um, who doesn't have an apron on. And we immediately kind of put those in categories. But if we go back to the way it was originally written, it would have said something like this. Would have said something like this. These Greek-speaking men, so when it says choose seven men, they would say these Greek-speaking men, because their names were all, were all Greek names, these Greek-speaking men um, are going to serve the Greek-speaking widows. And we're going to keep our focus on prayer and serving Jesus' teachings. Both words are about serving. Both are verbs to kind of say servant or minister, serving or ministering. And so it's not about the status of the role, number one. Number two, it's not really about a permanent office. Maybe you grew up in a church that, that had um, deacons, okay? And, and I don't have anything wrong with deacons, except that um, most of the time churches that do that say, you know, an elder is up here and a deacon is down here. And deacons do these serving things. Except the problem with that is that deacon means both servant and minister. And so, and again, this verse is using it as a verb, not as like a, a title. And, and if you cross-reference and do some background work on this, you find like in Ephesians 3.7, um, this is extra credit, um, but if you look in Ephesians 3, 7, it says this guy, Paul, and Paul was like this super apostle. Paul was this super minister. Paul was this super evangelist. He kind of gets hit on the road, literally by the spirit of Jesus, who is persecuting Christians, and then goes and spreads the gospel to almost the whole known world. So I think we would put Paul up here, but in Ephesians 3, 7, Paul says, I have become a servant of the gospel by God's grace. And he uses the word, I become a deacon of the gospel by God's grace. So there's no permanent office here. If you volunteer to serve food, he's not saying you have to serve food for the rest of your life. In fact, these seven men perform this task, but we find out, like we'll find out next week, that they were pretty good at ministering. They were pretty good at prayer. They were pretty good at taking the message of Jesus out. This task was a temporary task. And the conclusion to the apostles keeping their focus, coming all the way back around, is found in, Ephesians, in Acts 6-7. So the word of God spread, and the number of disciples increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. The priest thing being significant, because remember this opposition that was like down here, and the opposition that was right here, was from the priests. So the fact that a number of priests became obedient to the faith is pretty cool. And then 
the, the gospel spreads and spreads and spreads, and some of which we'll look at next week. But not this week. So, that was, why is it here? So what's the story? And this is my interpretation of why it's here. Wow. Can you guys read that at all? <laughs> Maybe we won't do that again. Number three, what difference does it make in our life? Like, that's a great story, Rob, but really, like, I have, I, you got me on keeping focus. I have trouble keeping focus. I found out that there's now, like, these, um, these iPhone apps and these computer apps for people that are called, like, Freedom and Concentrate. And literally, you, you pay money to put this program on your computer so it blocks the internet. So you can't use like Facebook or you can't go on Twitter or you can't go here so you're supposed to concentrate and do work. And I'm like, I have to pay like $29 to just not have the will to keep focus? But people do this. It's crazy. Um, so if that's the place you're in, then, then I think it is a really important story. What difference does it make in our lives? Um, because remember what I said at the beginning, if we know who we are, then we'll know what to do. If we know who we are, then we'll know what to do. If I'm a dad and I value being a dad, then I'm, spo- I'm going to spend time with my kids. If, I, if I'm a husband and I value my wife, then I'm going to go out on a date with her. If I'm a triathlete and I value triathloning, then I'm going to make time for training. And whatever it is for you, if you value that, It'll be followed up with actions. If we know who we are, then we'll know what to do. So for us, for restoration, and some of this might even bleed into your own personal life, but for us at restoration, uh, it really means this, and I'll explain that. Like, in order for us to know who we are, it means we have to be authentic people. It means we have to be willing to be open in our lives. We have to be willing to be honest. We have to be willing to kind of share with one another. That's why we do a meet and greet thing and we ask you to get to know somebody and we have it longer than like one second so that you can't be like, hi, nice to meet you, and then go back to your spot where you have to like enter sometimes into an awkward conversation. And some of you might be thinking, well, that's really awkward. I know. Sometimes it is. But sometimes when you push through that, you make a new friend. And we practice being an authentic person. Um, we also realize that in order to really do that, we can't really just do that on a Sunday morning. We've got to do that in groups. We've got to do that in life groups. That really to live this authentic um, faith, to be authentic people, we have to be in life groups. And some of them are just starting. And if you want to sign up today, you can. Um, but we also believe who we are is Christ-centered people. Like our unity comes from Jesus only Jesus. That's why, like, a few months ago, we had people that shared their faith stories, and some of them shared stuff that some of you are like, whoa, that was big stuff. And I, like, made a comment about kicking you in the shins if you judge them, because most of those things that they talked about were not central to Jesus. Um, and that's what we want to be about. We want to be about the things that are central to Jesus. And if, if Jesus said this is a gray area, guess what? We're going to call it a gray area. And if Jesus said, nope, this is a line in the sand, then we're going to lovingly call it a line in the sand because we want to be Jesus-centered people, which means that we have to be in an accepting and accepting community. It means that we always have to have room for one more. It means that even people who are different than us, we're going to take time to like, learn to understand them, to get to know them. And we need to finally and ultimately who we are is we need to be about, be about more than just ourselves. 
We need to be people that are, are Christ-like, which means that we serve humbly in the name of Jesus, that we go beyond ourselves to do that. And these are the values of restoration. They're at the bottom of the screen there. They're the things that over a year ago, God led a, a small group of people forming this church to say, this is who we are. Not arrogantly, but very spirit-led, very humbly, just said, I think this is it. Let's not have 18 so we can't remember them. Let's try and do it in as few statements as possible. So if we know who we are, and I think these things translate into our personal lives, then I think we'll know what to do. So think about what it means for you, but I think what it means for restoration is it means that, we're rest- that what we participate in is a restoration process, being restored with God, being restored with others, and restoring what's broken in the world. It means being restored with God means we have a firsthand encounter with Jesus. Like yesterday, or last Sunday, when we looked at these key verses from Acts chapter 4, remember Peter and John in their opposition? And in this opposition, the religious people said, you can't speak or teach in the name of Jesus anymore. And they're like, we can't help it. We can't help doing what we've seen and heard. And they were shocked, it said in Ephesians 4.13. They were shocked because these ordinary unschooled men had been with Jesus. That's what restoration with God means. Um, Restoring what's broken in the world. I know I skipped one. I skipped it on purpose. Restoring what's broken in the world. Some of us participated in food on the first. There's like 19 bags of groceries outside. We're going to give that to um, Westview that has a YMCA daycare program this summer. A lot of these kids, they get their first two meals of the day from the school, breakfast and lunch, and sometimes they don't get dinner. And when school's out, the meals stop. So this is huge. This is a small thing, but it's huge. Um, we'll be doing some more things like that of restoring what's broken in the world because if we know who we are, then we'll know what to do. We'll know how to live these things out. So if we're Christ-centered and we're authentic and we're accepting and we're servants, then we have to realize that one of the things that we do is we build relationships. Not only with ourselves, but especially with each other. If we want to have unity, if we want to have fellowship, if we want to have sharing, then we have to live that out together. So I think Carrie Stoke is not here today, but Carrie Harpal and Leslie Steiner and Janae Barry So can you guys come right up here, 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 and here? Can you do that for me? Um, Leslie and Carrie and Janae are in charge of our hospitality and connections team. And, um, and so... Um, this is such a, I don't know, complex machine, would you say it that way? That it takes three people to do it. Um, and so, so Carrie, Carrie leads the team and the, the coffee cart team to make sure that we have that, which we think, I think is essential for fellowship, but I don't know. Do you guys agree? You're like, yes or no, we could keep it. My kids are like, um, yeah, my kids are like, are we going to have the princess bagels today? Um, I mean, that's a celebration. And if you, look at, if you look at the verses that we just read today, completely every one of these summary statements had fellowship, sharing of food, sharing of food, sharing of food. So we share food. Coffee is our, is our first century equivalent to wine, or 21st century equivalent to wine. Like the people in the old, or New Testament, they were having wine all the time. We're having coffee all the time. That's just like, thank you. So Janae... Well, wait, Leslie, you're next in line, I guess. Leslie, um, 
Leslie is in charge of our greeting and our welcoming, so she leads a team of people to make sure that people get name tags. Sometimes if you don't want them, (laughs) you're getting one, um, because we want to know your name. Um, We want to know more too, but that's as far as we'll force ourselves. Um, She makes sure that people get a smile, an appropriate greeting, and finds a place to sit, which sometimes is rather challenging. So thank you, Leslie. And Janae, Janae's in charge of our connection table, and our connection table is not only provides a gift to our guests, but also really provides a pathway for people to be connected to a fellowship dinner or possibly to a serving team or to a life group. So um, now they don't do this all by themselves. There are several of you that help with this. So if you've ever helped on the hospitality connections team, could you stand please? Can you thank these people? This is for you. All of you. Thank you. Okay, you guys can sit down. Now, now I, it's because I appreciate, we appreciate you. Um, I have a leadership team around me that keeps me focused. I know sometimes that's difficult. Um, a pastoral advisory team, because that's what our job is. As, as the apostle's job was to stay focused. Um, now, that, that whole description that I gave might sound really structured, um, but in Acts 6, we find out that there's only enough structure to make sure that the physical and spiritual needs of people are met. We firmly believe that the Jesus people, the Jesus movement is a movement. It's an organism. It's got to change and grow to remain healthy. So we weren't the same as we were nine months ago. We weren't the same as we were three months ago. And that's okay because we're changing and we're growing and we're moving. And we have leaders and we have teams that help us to do the things, the very things that Scripture says is essential for unity. Because why were these 3,000 added? Why were these Greeks staying in Jerusalem if they'd really been dispersed, if they really lived throughout the kingdom of the Roman Empire? Then why did they like come to Jerusalem for the festival? But then why did they stay forever? Okay, because the spirit of Jesus came back and it was, uh, it was a rocking place and they were caring for people and they were unified. Who wouldn't want that? And so we have to do that as well. But it means that if we change and we grow, whether it's in our personal lives or our church life, it means there will always be a threat to unity. And the key to that is knowing who we are so we know what to do. Now, what about in your life? Where have you, where have you felt like you've really lost focus? Whether it's physically, um, whether it's spiritually, Uh, maybe you've lost focus in your work. Maybe you need one of those programs that I made fun of. Um, But what do you need to do to get that back? Because I think it starts with remembering who you are. You are God's child. You are God's son. You are God's daughter. He loves you. He unconditionally forgives you. He has plans for you. He made you. He wants the best for you. He forgives you immediately, and he wants you to realize that so that he can fully forgive you, so that you can be restored next to him, so you can live out this overflowing life. And he, like, it's just profound that he forgives past sin, he forgives present sin, and he's already forgiven future sin. I mean, if we think about that, the cross, because if he didn't, then the cross wouldn't be enough. 
So that's just a profound statement that he forgives past, present, and future, and he wants us to live in this restoration with him. And that is the key to keeping that focus, knowing who we are, remembering who we are. That's the key to living this overflowing life, is remembering who we are so we'll know what to do. So let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this story. I thank you that it's so significant that these first round of people that were different than the original people were being excluded. And, and you thought it well enough to put this story in so that we could learn something about that, but also about us. What does it look like for us to stay focused? What does it look like for us to be unified, for us to share, not only as a church God, but in, our, in the rest of our lives too? I pray for those that, that are coming here today feeling very scattered, feeling very unfocused, maybe even unfulfilled. Maybe this thought of living an overflowing life, maybe their cup is empty. God, I pray that you, by your Holy Spirit and by your love, would fill it. That we would ask, if we've been unfocused, that we would just confess that. We would, if it's because of sin or because of wrong in our life, that we would confess that. That we would accept your restoration. That we would live for you each and every day. God, we want um, to be unified as a, as a Jesus movement of people. Not, not so that this place will grow, but so that your kingdom will expand. And that's our prayer, God. Expand your kingdom. Use us um, as you will. In Jesus' name.